Welcome back to Backseat Banter. My name is Sam, and I'm joined with a very special guest, Damian Wilkins. He played 12 years in the NBA and is currently the National Basketball Players Association regional representative. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you guys for having me, man. Appreciate it. It's an honor. Yeah, it's it's a an honor for us to get you on. We saw that you were trying to become uh, a front office executive for the NBA. We wanted to hear a little about uh, a little bit about how that's going and what what you're trying to do to reach that goal. Well, um, I think it started with uh, the relationships that I try to build throughout you know my career in the NBA. Um, you know. They, people have always tried to steer me towards coaching um, mm-hmm. just based on like knowledge of the game, I guess. But for me personally, I just never wanted to coach. I've always wanted to be a part of daily operations of running the team. And that's just, that's just how I always, I always kind of been. So, you know, I always found it more interesting, challenging to, to, to run a team than to, to coach a team and shoot, man. I've seen coaches of the year get fired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't want to be a coach. <laughs> like, not... So I always, I, I just did that. Um, you know, started working for the Players Association when my career um, came to an end. And they put me in, they knew of my aspirations and put me in charge of um, what we call the Leadership Development Program. Leadership Development Program is a program that I had at the Players Association. Mm-hmm that basically helps guys once their career ends to get to those front office executive scouts mm-hmm. type jobs. Um, so we invite a bunch of, we invite a bunch of uh, executives from the, around the NBA into, you know, classroom setting type thing. And, you know, they basically give guys, current players, former players, the roadmap or the, 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 the odd things that it takes in order to get to get those positions. So it's a great program. I'm excited to be over it. And um, it's been fun so far. And hopefully I can help guys get in those positions and also do the same for myself. Yeah, we spoke with a former NFL player, Kendall Gammon, who said that the shield, the, the badge of the NFL lasts much longer than, than when you're out of the league. And it seems to be the same thing now with, with what the MBPA and the NBA are doing that they're helping their athletes and, and their former athletes, you know, get right after they're, they're finished with the league. And it, it says a lot to what, you know, the, the MBPA has been able to accomplish in the, in the past mm. several years mm-hmm. and more specifically what they're doing for their players after they give their entire careers and, and to the NBA and then what they're able to accomplish after. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, that's that's the PA's job, right? Is to mm-hmm. say that and echo that throughout guys' career. We want to help you for enhance and further your career, um, as far as it can go, both you know during your playing days and after. And I think the Players Association. Obviously, I work for them, but I think the Players Association does a great job of that. They put every program imaginable in front of you, and. You know, it helps all our guys to, to, to be the best that they can be. It's just a matter of whether or not you want to take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, and there's definitely quite some opportunities uh, in there, like you mentioned. Um, it's really interesting to see what happens after basketball. It's not just about what happens during your playing career. It's everything that happens after because you you played 12 years in the NBA, 
a lot of guys don't even get that uh, privilege to do that. And but still, 12 years is just 12 years. What are you going to do after? And it seems like you're really helping these guys transition into life after basketball as well. Yeah, and Sam, you brought up a quote earlier uh, when we were doing some research. Uh, what, what, what did that quote say? Yeah, so we found a quote when you were re-entering the league after a, a four-year hiatus where you said it's easier now just knowing that you've got to be ready. For the most part, that's been my whole career. I've always had to be ready. I had to work as hard as I could to make a team my rookie year, and that has been the same story throughout the whole career. Um, can you talk about that mindset of staying ready through adversity and the mental toughness that it takes to do that? Oh, man. Oh, shoot. Like, I can't even... I wish I could put that in the words. It's 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 something that you have to. Um, it's, it's it's a question whether or not how bad you want it, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you want it bad enough, you'll do whatever it takes to get there. And I've always wanted it, right? Like I've always wanted to be on the mm -hmm. team, and play in the NBA. So I was gonna stop at nothing to get there. And then that kind of if you have that attitude, it kind of just carries over, right? You don't mm -hmm. lose that attitude just because you move on to another job. Or another profession, mm -hmm. or something different. That 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 attitude sticks with you. It's something that you just have, or you don't, right? So that's always been the story of my life. So I've been proud of that. Yeah, that kind of being prepared for whatever comes your way, and and in the NBA's case, that next up mentality. When players get injured, you you experience that in your rookie year, being able to fill in the the plug and play kind of when when guys get hurt being able to come in, be ready, stay ready, because you never know when your number is going to be called. And you, you did a really, really good job with that in your rookie year, taking advantage of the scenario. And you inserted yourself into the starting lineup towards the end of the season. Talk a little bit about how oh, that you did went. Your home, you did, you really did your homework. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, we, we, we come prepared. Hey, you know what? That's that's refreshing. A lot of guys, you know, you, you get on a lot of these podcasts and, and things like that. Guys don't even know you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, that was just a, I had great veterans too, right? Like, so it wasn't just me. It's a testament to the leadership that I had and guys that, that played at that level and have done great things, you know, able to tell me things that I didn't know, right? Like my first day at training camp, I remember Ray Allen told me, hey man, mm -hmm. look, it's a long season. Cause I just, I looked at him and I said, Ray, you know, look, I'm a rookie, man. Mm -hmm. I see we have you, we have Flip Murray, we have Rashad Lewis, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we have Vladimir Romanovich, Antonio Daniels. Like, I know I'm, I made the team, but I don't, I, I don't ever, how do you, how do I deal with not ever playing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, man, look, it's a long season. He said, anything can happen because anything always happens. Mm -hmm. So, you just stay ready. And he was like, if you stay ready, you'll be rewarded for that. And I was like, he's just being cliche, man. That's not, it's <laughs> not true. Like nothing's going to happen to you, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and then, you know, lo and behold, we're in Portland. Uh, Rashad Lewis gets hurt. Vladimir Romanovich gets hurt. And, mm -hmm. you know, coach puts me in the game. I go in and Bray Allen comes up to me and says, see, I told you. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned earlier about 
how you have built these connections and that how that's helping you now in the NBPA. But was this the first uh, NBA connection that you made with really one of the legends of the game with Ray Allen, with Richard Lewis uh, on that Sonics team? Can you talk about those relationships that carry over even until now? Yeah, I mean, Ray, like he was, he was considered my vet, right? He took me under his wing, um, mm-hmm. really like uh, did a great job of just teaching me the game, teaching me how to be professional, all those things. Like uh, I remember the first uh, game we played, you know, it was on the road in a preseason game. And I get a knock on my door about an hour after shoot around in my hotel room. I'm about to lay down. I just eaten after shoot around. I'm like, okay, I'm excited. I'm getting ready. This is my first game. I'll be at preseason, but still, <laughs> mm-hmm. he knocks on the door. This is like an hour after shoot around, an hour and a half after shoot around. He's like, hey, um, you ready? I'm like, yeah, man, I can't wait. I'm excited. He's like, no, you ready to go? I'm like, ready to go where? Like the bus don't leave until mm-hmm. five. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't take the bus. I'm I'm at the gym three hours early before every game. Oh, wow. He was like, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, that's, that's dope of you, right? Like you should, <laughs> I'm sure that, that that's helped you a lot, uh-huh. you know, but is, sorry, is that my story too? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, young fella, you coming with me. Like I told you to be ready. So I'm gonna make sure you, you always ready. I was like, oh, I, so I guess I'm getting dressed then. <laughs> and we, you know, I, I, I got dressed, you know, left. I'm in the cab, yawning, and we get to the gym, and that became my routine for the rest mm-hmm. of my career. Wow. For the rest Literally, of the career. For the rest of my career, every game of my career, I was at the gym two, two hours, two and a half hours before every game. You know, Sam and I were talking about this a little before you came on the podcast when we were doing our research, and I actually called it. I'm like, I have a decent inclination to believe that Ray Allen was his vet. And I was trying to do some research, trying to compile something that could, you know, back that. But when you brought that up naturally, there was just something that in my head clicked that, okay, he came into the league prepared by one of the greatest shooters of all time. And, you know, the, the supersonics at the time, they were building that rapport for that team. And, just being able to, to be with one of the, the greater veterans at the time in, in Ray Allen after his, you know, stint with the Bucks and, and moving on to the Supersonics, being able to learn from one of those guys probably sparked that, that mentality of always being ready. And, you know, it, it just says a lot about being able to learn from the greatest and then play with the greatest on any given night. For sure, man. Um, I mean, like, because think about it, bro. Like, who's not going to listen to Jesus Shuttlesworth, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, like, I'd be an idiot, like, mm-hmm. you know, to be to be a rookie. And, and this is the tutelage that I'm getting from him, a guy who's actually offering um, to teach me and to be there for me. Like, he didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, even you guys know that he didn't he didn't have to teach me anything like that's Ray Allen. You know, and, and guys don't normally do that, right? So, and, and it speaks to another point I can make about that's why veterans are so important to have on teams, especially mm-hmm. veterans who actually know things. But everyone wants to go young now, so it's like the blind leading the blind. Who's teaching? <laughs> who's teaching the locker room, right? So, like 
without Chris Paul and Phoenix, it's Devin Booker's team. Mm-hmm. Like even with Chris Paul there, it's 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 Devin Booker's team. However, is Devin Booker pulling DeAndre Ayton to the side and telling him things that he should and should not know or do? Mm-hmm. Is Devin Booker pulling the kid from Villanova, taking him over to his house and saying, "Hey, look, young fella, let me teach you some things that no one told me." Like, is, is he really doing that? Like, maybe he is, but I'd be willing to bet that he's not. Because he, even him, in his tenure so far, and it's been very short, he hasn't had a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. So what can he tell him? Yeah, and, and you and, brought and, up... And, and, oh, and that's why, I, you know, that's why I was saying with, with Ray, it was different. Like, I'm listening to Ray Allen. I'm listening to Rashad Lewis. These guys are already nine, ten years in. Yep. You know, like, that's a lot of experience. You're talking about all-star appearances and all-NBA appearances and playoff mm-hmm. games. And, I mean, come on, man. Like, that's a ton of knowledge that he was sharing with me uh, for free. I would be an idiot not to open my bag up and listen to and 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 tell him to just keep pouring in. Yeah, and you brought up, that um for example you, you, the the perfect example really in uh phoenix with chris paul and, and the way that he is really mentoring that team and uh they've been doing some great things there in phoenix but cp3 is also heavily involved uh in the nbpa he is the president of the players association uh, can you talk about the relationship that you built with him um over time both being involved as a player but also now uh in the nbpa yourself well, just making sure that we're all on the same page. And, you know, with the, the premise of the Players Association is to, mm-hmm. you know, ha- always have the players' best interest. And those all those interests align. And, you know, I'm the newest member of the Players Association. And mm-hmm. I've been there, my this is my fourth year now, and, you know, learning the nuances and all those things. And just, like I said, you know, covering the players. And I never, I didn't realize it was so much um, work that 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 mm-hmm. that we do. Um, I'm, I'm, it's good work though. It's not one of those. It's not super daunting. It's just, it's a lot to take care mm-hmm. of guys who have everything at their at their fingertips, and um, they literally, you know, can do whatever they want and 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 have access to whomever they want. So to be in those rooms and on those calls and on those Zooms, you know, making sure that we're at the forefront of these mm-hmm. guys' career needs. Um, it's a huge responsibility and it's an honor as well. And I take great pride in that and so does Chris. Yeah, you guys you guys do outstanding work. Even with uh, Commissioner Adam Silver, you guys are doing a lot to help the players, not only during the NBA, but out, out after the NBA. But the, the work that we've seen in recent years compared to work uh, 20 years ago, it's incomparable. It's, you can't, you can't, and not, words cannot describe what you guys are doing for these players because some of the guys have short careers. Some of them have trouble staying on a roster and the work that goes in to helping those players that invest their their career and their lives to playing basketball says a lot about the MBPA and a lot about the association in general. And uh, for sure, yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead. 
No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's it's fine. I was I was just going to talk about a, a little bit as a player, your experience back then. You know, what was the MBPA like, and did they help you throughout your career, or was it just towards the end? Because I know they've they've made substantial changes from then to now. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been. I mean, shoot, the changes that I've seen mm-hmm. um, from. Because, see, this is the thing. When you go into the NBA, you think the Players Association and the NBA are the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's different. They're not the same entity at all. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, it took a year or two to really figure out and realize that, like, oh, these two entities aren't the same. One works for teams. One works for players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once I figured that out, and then I started being a part of all the programs. I started to, you know, all the the programs that they do, the educational programs, all the things they put on in the summer to help you, you know, network and, and learn different things. I started to attend them all because it was like, at first it was like, well, shoot, it's a free trip to Vegas. Why not? <laughs> but then, you know, then you mature, right? And you say, okay, well, shoot, this could help me. So you start, you start maybe shaking hands a little bit and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and listening a little, and listening a little harder. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, the more you do, the more you network, the more you're around, the more you become like one of those guys that they call, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and they invite you to other things that maybe, you know, you you just didn't expect. So, yeah. you know, and that's kind of how my relationship with them kind of materialized. And then, you know, I just was always a people person. So it was easy for me to just build those relationships with those guys and um, once my career ended, I got a call from Purvis Short, and it was just like, "Hey, man, we think you'll be a great asset to the Players Association." I'm like, "Wow, wow!" Like I didn't tell me more about it, mm-hmm. you know? Like, because at this point now, you're working for him. Like, obviously, as a player, you don't know everything that goes into it. But once he told me everything, I was just like, "Oh, this will be a great transition because I don't have to end my career, go home, sit around for seven or eight years, and wait on, mm-hmm. you know, whatever to happen. I can still be around the game." Yep. And then, you know, I told him about my aspirations. Like, hey, yeah, I want to, to be working in the front office of a team one day. I don't know how to do that, but that's what I want to do. And it's helped me tremendously, man. So I'm grateful to the Players Association and Purvis. And, and throughout my career that I didn't, you know, burn bridges or, and you know, you know, treat those, you know, the Players Association, like I was above them or too good for their programs, educational things. So it's been great. Yeah, it, it really sounds like a very great experience that you've described. And you're one of the people who have been around the NBA pretty much since they were born. Your your father played uh, for 13 years in the NBA. Your uncle was nine-time All-Star Dominique Wilkins. Can you talk about being surrounded by the NBA uh, from a very, very early age and how, how that's helped you maintain those relationships going forward uh, into the future with the as a, a player mm-hmm. in your career, but then also now as a representative of the Players well, Association? I- I think the biggest thing that it did to, for me was allow me to be able to not be so excited about it where mm. like you miss, you miss the business aspect of it because you know how it is. Right. So think about it as a relationship. 
like a relationship rather. Mm -hmm. You get with the, the new pretty girl, right? And all you do is you're excited about all the features on the outside, right? That you don't learn anything about her. So here you are with this shiny new toy <laughs> and, but you don't know that toy at all. It just looks good, mm -hmm. you know? So all the things that like longevity, that helps longevity, you miss all those things mm -hmm. because you were so enamored by like all the beauty, all the, mm -hmm. the glam and the glitz, but all the things that's on the inside of that person, right? That, that girl, that toy, those are the things that's gonna either keep you in that relationship or it's gonna make you hate her. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate to have the influence of my dad and my uncle, you know, once I, you know, moved in with my dad when I was 14, because he and my mom weren't together. But once I moved in with him, I was able to see so much of it that like once I got mm -hmm. to it, it wasn't new to me. So I I, I didn't I, I knew what to look for. I you know, I I I followed and tried not to make the same mistakes that they made or the things that they told me they did. So I was fortunate in that regard right. to see a side of basketball that a lot of people don't see until they're in that 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 pit. Yeah, so I I'm pretty curious. Were you were around during the, the famous and the iconic dunk contest that your uncle was a part of? Uh, you mean the uh, the which one, Chicago? Yeah. I wasn't at the dunk contest, but yes, I was. A, I was around ish. I was a snot nose man, but <laughs> I remember a lot of the conversations that my family came home with. Mm -hmm. How did how did those go? Some were like, you know, hey, listen, man, you got cheated. Like we all know that. But then others were <laughs> like, come on, man, you weren't gonna be Mike in Chicago. Like, <laughs> you could have jumped from Michigan Avenue. You weren't gonna win that. <laughs> And and oh, I man. and I and I and I tend to agree with both. I don't I, I don't think he got cheated. I just thought that, that that he wasn't gonna like that was just a lose lose for anyone who wasn't number 23 in the Chicago Bulls uniform. Like I, I just how do you how do you not how does he not win that? Mm -hmm. Like you, it, it's that's just like if the if it, the roles were reversed, Mike couldn't walk out of the Omni at that mm -hmm. time winning that if that was neat I mean, you yeah. just you, you just can't win that mm -hmm. i mean we, we've talked before on the show how a lot of the stuff that goes on in the nba is about the story that they want to push it's whatever is the most interesting thing and you're totally right there if it's hometown love uh, the guy comes out there it's so hard to to compete there uh, but there wasn't just one head-to-head -head matchup um, your uncle did get the best of Michael Jordan a couple of times, too. So uh, what, how was the shift in atmosphere there when, when he came home with a win? Oh, man, it was great because, you know, obviously, <laughs> you know, Mike, Mike being Mike, you know, everyone wants to beat him. And mm -hmm. and Nick did it before. He didn't beat him in Chicago, but he's yep. beat him, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I think he was happy about that. Anytime he beat Mike, anytime he won anything, a regular season game, a preseason game, a you know, who scoring title, whatever the case may be, if he was in front of Mike, 
obviously that was a good day, mm-hmm. you know, for the family. But even my dad, you know, I don't think my dad had a victory against Mike. Maybe, maybe a one or two, oh. but maybe I don't even know if he did. <laughs> like no, like significant ones. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I mean, I I was I was banned from wearing Jordans when I was a kid. I couldn't wear <laughs> like. It's like, come on, man. Like, what do I have to do with this? <laughs> you know, That's hilarious. I, yeah, I just, I, you know, it was, it was disdain, hatred for Michael Jordan and Larry Bird in our household. Mm. Yeah, did they ever catch you wearing Jordans? They never caught me, <laughs> but they, they never bought bought me any either. Okay. Like, mm. if I was gonna buy them, I had to, you know, if I was gonna get them, I had to get them myself. But mm-hmm. and the it and just, the it just wasn't happening. And the Larry Bird hatred, where where does where does that stem from? That's all Neek. Yeah. Mm. That's all Neek. <laughs> Neek, like, you know, him and Bird, they were, you know, rivals in the Eastern Conference mm-hmm. back then, man. Like you couldn't he used to respect the hell out of Larry Bird, but he just you know, it was just like we, we can't support Larry Bird. We can't talk about Larry Bird. He'll tell you though, to this day, he'll tell you like, man, Larry's a bad boy. But yep. he mm-hmm. We, you know, no Larry Bird jerseys or Converse or, you know, we so probably what, were, couldn't even go to Indiana. What what shoes were you allowed to wear? <laughs> Anything Nike I was good with. Okay. Like, I was good okay. with Nike, you know, Reebok pumps I'm good with. Just no mics, no Converse. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, we, we know later on uh, in, in your career at Seattle, you were able to play with Kevin Durant and, you know, Russell Westbrook. How did the shift of, of the Supersonics happen? Because you were there for, I mean, 2004 to 2009. Talk a little bit about the time when KD joined the team and then when they also got Russell Westbrook. How did the culture shift? How did the environment shift from, you know, the, the Supersonics of old to, to the, you know, the last of the Sonics? Well, I mean, you knew obviously they were there was a those are two great picks and you know, not excluding Jeff Green as well. Like that mm-hmm. was that was that was a great draft and I don't I think Sam Presti, you know, he's always he has a track record of drafting well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um so to to get those guys in a two year span, man, like it it really changed the direction of that that franchise and you know, to be a part of that ride, man, it was it was super special because, you know, it was so much attention that we were getting, both because of, you know, the new talent that we got in there and the the you know the media attention around us moving to OKC. Moving yeah, us moving to OKC, mm-hmm. excuse me. Um so it was it was man, like it was it was great times in Seattle. Um, you know, kind of a, 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 a restart, if you will, because we had just won the division, division champs, mm-hmm. you know, with Ray Allen on that team and my rookie year. And then, you know, we went through a spell where we missed some playoffs and mm-hmm. guys left and coach left. And then that was kind of a resurgence, you know, a shot in the arm when we got those guys coming in. And, and we were getting our butt kicked, but we were exciting to watch. Yeah. You know, I mean, we added Chris Wilcox, who at that mm-hmm. time was a super high flyer, and Earl Watson was pushing the ball. And I was I was lining up threes from the corner all mm-hmm. every night. I mean, it was just 
it was just it was fun man we was having so much fun man and, you know watching these guys grow and we're mm -hmm. growing together and it was fun so uh, yeah and there's one game in particular that stands out um it's november 16th 2007 uh, overtime game against Atlanta Hawks, where you could not miss. You shot 75% from the field and dropped 41 points. Uh, can you talk about that game in particular, uh, if you could go back to that that mindset? Oh, yeah. I'll never forget that. Of course I can go back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that was just – it was, man, it was – um, you know, what a lot of people don't know, coming into that game, I had a great rhythm. Mm -hmm. I, I I was playing like at a at a really high level coming into that game. I think I was averaging like 18 a game coming mm -hmm. into it, and you know, so I I had a whole lot of confidence, and you know I was back home, so you know I saw the ball go through the the, the net a couple times, and mm -hmm. you know it just kept kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, <laughs> and you know just everything was going right, man. And I don't know you know, how much basketball you guys have played, but it's something about getting in that type of zone, man, that, mm -hmm. like, it's it truly is one of those things where you get lost in the game and become unconscious. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's like the game is, it's like you black out. It's almost like you black out and all of a sudden the game is over. Yeah, it's like you an out-of-body experience. Yeah, and that's what happened, man. Like, I was 15 for 20. I remember the first thing my Uncle Neek said to me, after the game, I was like, man, you full of shit. I said, why? He said, you should have, you was 15 for 20. You should have shot 10 more shots. <laughs> I was like, I was like, coming from you, like, that makes sense. Coming from, I'm not even surprised that you mm -hmm. said that coming mm -hmm. from you. Yeah. But um, looking back on it, he was right. I'm like, man, I, mm -hmm. I, I should have shot at least eight more shots. Just, I, just to, I know I what he went for 60. when I see one. Yeah, like, I'm like, man. <laughs> 15 for 20, yeah. you know, like, I mean, should I deserve at least 10 more shots? Mm -hmm. So, but that was just one of those nights, man. That it was just, man, I'm still mad at Wally Zerbiak for passing Kevin Durant the ball for the last shot, <laughs> but I'm glad he made it. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. But it was just one of those nights, man. Like, like I said, I just got, got going and just didn't stop. Yeah, and you brought up uh, that, that KD got that last shot, um, but you scored 20 more points than he did. He went on to be a multiple-time scoring champion, uh, future MVP, and you scored 20 more points than him in this game. Uh, what was the back and forth like in the locker room after that game? I, you know, I made sure all the – I said, hey, KD, I apologize, man. I am at home tonight. <laughs> so I appreciate you letting me borrow the stage tonight, man. Mm -hmm. You know, but he, he was super congratulatory, man. It was everyone, you know, it was just super happy for me. You know, and like I said, it, what made it special was they be able to do it at home, man, like mm -hmm. in front of family and friends. And um, I'll never forget that game. And what's funny is I can't find it on tape anywhere. Wow. Mm -hmm. Like I cannot find that on tape anywhere. And, I want to watch the tape of that game so bad. We'll do some. We'll do some digging over here. See if we can find it. Send it over to you. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find it, man. And like you would think, I could considering my job. Mm -hmm. But I can't find it. I'm it, like, it, you it, guys aren't. You guys aren't going to lose this. This is somewhere in the archives. Yep. yep. Oh, That's crazy. Sure. 
that you, you can't go back and, and find an NBA game, an overtime thriller that goes down to the wire and you score 41 points against it. It, it, it has to exist somewhere, do, I think. Do, do, do you guys know the date of that game? Yeah, I can tell you right now. It was on November 16th, 2007. I got to remember that. See, if I know that, I might define it now. We'll see. Yeah, so, I mean, you have some crazy stories with the Supersonics. Obviously, yeah, playing with Kevin Durant is something crazy. Could you see back then what he could resemble now? And now looking back on it, hindsight 2020, of course, you know, how has he developed – into such a superstar at this level, being considered like a top two player in the NBA and, you know, being able to share a locker room with these guys and, you know, outscore them, outshine them on some nights. Talk about that a little bit. It's, it's funny because he doesn't even, I, like I look at him now, he doesn't even look the same as he did then. You know, none of mm-hmm. us do, obviously, mm-hmm. because, you know, with age. But, man, like, like like I said, he was just so good, man. And you could just see, you like, man, this kid is going to be really, really good. And, you know, who knew that he'd evolve, evolve into who I think, honestly, is the best scorer on the planet. Yep. I don't even think it's anyone close. And, you know, it's just amazing, you know, his talent, man. It's just it's how easy he scores the basketball, man. It's just how efficient he is. I mean, I'm not surprised at all. And he's a gym rat, man. He's one of those guys that not only is, is good, but he works his butt off. So, you know, it, 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 even now, like, I wouldn't know that he – I wouldn't even know he had a Achilles injury. Yep. You know, so. Yeah, and would you say that he kind of adopted that same mindset that Ray Allen had of showing up to the gym hours early and playing and practicing and really just always being in the gym? You, you said that he was a gym rat, so just even, a little bit more. Yeah, even even your uncle too, Dominique, came back from an Achilles injury. That Those are the two players that I can think of that, that have come back and looked bouncier than before. They looked more athletic almost than before that – the Achilles is very, very hard to come back from too. So yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to come back from. You know, Neek did it. He came mm-hmm. back and he looked good. Mm-hmm. You know, KD has done it. Now he comes back and now he looks. He hasn't even looked like he doesn't even lost a step, man. Like mm-hmm. you know, watching Brooklyn play, and I'm like, goodness gracious, and like this. <laughs> he looks. He looks better mm-hmm. than he did before. He looks to me. He looks like better. I'm like, how? How, how could you get like when did you have time to work on that? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just a testament to those guys. Obviously, you know, God, God too, right? Like you can't leave that out. He is, he is, man. I just play because I just love seeing him score the ball at the, the efficiency that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, there's some magical things that, that he does on the basketball court there. Uh, one of our first ever topics on this show 
was about the changes that the G League has been making to be more enticing for young talent uh, with the, the select contracts and um, getting high school talent to join the G League as opposed to going into uh, college. You were a former uh, all-star in that league in uh, 2015, so you have a very unique perspective um, on, on this topic. What are your thoughts about the changes the league has been making and how NBA teams have utilized it uh, to its highest potential? Well, I, I think you have to. You have to utilize the G League, man. Mm-hmm. It's it's some guys down there that – well, I, you know what? Let me, let me rephrase that. It's some guys in the G League. I hate to say down there because I don't like it to sound like it's mm-hmm. demoting. Mm-hmm. But it's some guys in that G League, man, who really play and help the team. You know, I think it's all about attitude too, right, from a player's perspective. You know, you got to go in there understanding that, like, they these teams already have CEOs and – CFOs and presidents, now they're looking for secretaries and, mm-hmm. you know, mailroom guys, right? From a player's perspective, that's how you got to think about it. But from an overall standpoint, the NBA has done a great job of incorporating new ways, you know, changes in, in lifestyle and living arrangements and travel arrangements. You know, uh, teams are upgrading their facilities. Teams are pouring more money into the G League, you know, making it you know, enticing for guys that want to want to play there. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, it was a very difficult league to play in because you know it was treated kind of like you know, almost like you didn't matter. You know, and if we call you, we call you. You know, mm-hmm. taken care of. Maybe not up to the standards of the NBA, but you know, it makes you hungrier comfortable but also hungry enough at the same time you know, okc does a great job of pouring into their g league program i know they have housing and mm-hmm. chefs and all type of stuff for them um so you know that's that's one team that i know of in particular who's just kind of really really stepped it up so it's been fun to watch man i'm, I'm happy about the evolution of it you know, being a part of it obviously has been great was great for me in my career i learned so much i you know I don't think guys expected me to go down there and be as focused as I was, but shoot, I was like them. I was trying to get out of there too. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was, it was fun. Yeah. So in your career, uh, you, you found your way back into the NBA oh, after uh, taking close. a four year hiatus. Um, right. how, talk about that a little bit and, and how you were able to come back into the league. And was that through the, the D league at the time? Uh, uh, yeah. Um, well, I, I think it was a product of everything. I had, I had been playing literally everywhere. Puerto mm-hmm. Rico, Venezuela, man, G League, Puerto Rico, G League again, Team USA. I was playing everywhere, literally. So it was on, is she okay? It was on, it was, it was just one of those things, man. Like I did everything literally could do to be seen and to continue to play and um you know i don't know uh chad buchanan who was the gm of the uh assistant gm of the hornets you know i grew a relationship with him through my time in greensboro swarm and you know that's kind of how the whole indiana deal came together mm-hmm. you know i'm like chad you know you could have just called me up while i was down in the g league bro you didn't <laughs> 
but you know, it, 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 it worked out. audio for half a second but you're back um can right before we wrap it up we're gonna do like a quick little rapid fire round uh because for a, a time you did uh get labeled with that journeyman status playing for many different teams in a short stretch of time uh for the timberwolves the hawks the pistons the sixers and the pacers um can we talk about just rapid fire quick little uh, memory from each of those teams uh, whatever sticks out the most yeah and i also had a question did you enjoy playing the hawks more because of dominique's connection you guys hear me? yeah we hear you can you hear us i think we're having some technical difficulties here Damien, can you hear us, Damien? I can hear you. Okay, we, okay. we hear you now. Um, so the last thing we heard was uh, you talking about, you know, the the experience of, of being a journeyman. And did did you enjoy playing the Hawks in particular uh, due to your uncle's connection to, to Atlanta and that city and that team? Okay, ask, ask that question again. Ask mm -hmm. that question again. Did you enjoy playing in Atlanta due to your uncle's connection to the city? I did. Um well, I, you know, I grew up there too, so it, it mm -hmm. was it was fun and interesting. You know, all, uh, I, my family kind of grew out of nowhere, but it was um it was good. Um, I enjoyed playing for the Hawks. I always wanted to play for the Hawks. Like mm -hmm. that was a lifelong dream to play for the home team. So I got that opportunity, and it was it was great. Yeah, and you you played for other teams as well, uh, personally with one of my favorite players of all time, Al Jefferson. You played with him in Minnesota in 2009, and then you reunited with him in Indiana. You have in Indiana. One, cool, yeah. one cool Al Jefferson story for me? Uh, there's not one. There's not, not one? one. There's more than, there's a thousand. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, he's one of the greatest guys, you know, one of, still one of my best friends that I played with, man. He's just a super duper great dude, man. Funny as hell. Um, love to be around him, man. I, I, I think of one story. Oh, I used to make fun of him all the time because we were in Minnesota playing together and Kurt Rambis was running a triangle offense mm -hmm. with him and Kevin Love. Mm -hmm. And I used to tell him all the time, I'm like, this offense isn't for you, bro. Like, you, <laughs> you're, gonna, you're not going to pass it. You're not going to pass it where, like, the pass is supposed to go. Mm -hmm. Like, every time we would run the triangle – you're not going to – I used to tell them all the time, every play isn't solo. Yep. 
you know, solo is out of the triangle. It's an isolation for the big. Yeah. And I'm like, you like every play isn't solo, bro. Like we can't. <laughs> like you have to pass the ball sometime. But mm-hmm. um, that that used to be like a a, a long standing locker room joke with him. Man. I used to, I used to get on him about that all the time. But Al, man, he and I we have we have stories galore, bro. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been a huge fan of Al since the beginning, really, and. You know, I, I loved how he would dominate the post every time he would get the ball. And, you know, you guys cracking jokes about him not passing out of the post. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny, too. But uh, we're, we're just about finished with, you know, this episode, this conversation. Uh, Damien, we appreciate having you on the show. And we, we look forward to hearing from you again soon. Oh, likewise. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, so this has been another episode of Backseat Carpool Edition episodes. Uh, Make sure to stay tuned for more in the future. This has been Jonathan Silver, Sam Kruchkov, and we are joined by Damien Wilkins. Thank you guys so much. Backseat Panther out.